Hello everyone, I'm Bill DeFilippo. And I'm Nick Pollock, and welcome to the first episode of the Roar Lines Roar podcast. It's good to be I back, I am Nick. super excited. It is really good to be back. We haven't podcasted, and uh, it's been a few months since we've, you know, last gotten onto Skype and, you know, made bad jokes with one another. And that's not due to a lack of trying, because we have tried for three consecutive weeks now and failed every time. Yeah, it's usually, I mean, every time it's either your fault or somebody else's fault. I take a lot of pride in the fact that it has not been my fault. But yes, it is. It is usually me. It is. But yeah, we're back and we are ready. Uh, we're here to talk just about the Big Ten in today's episode. Uh, I was talking with a friend uh, the other day about how for some reason it has felt like this offseason has just dragged on longer than any other offseason in recent memory. And I think that's just because there's been so much stuff happening in college football this offseason and none of it has to do with football. Uh, things like satellite camps and all that. So I decided, hey, why not? Let's have that friend who I was talking to about this come on to the podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce from Sports on Earth. Make sure you head over there. Uh, hell, read it, his stuff during this podcast. Make sure you read his top 100 college football coaches of all time. His email is on the site somewhere. Send him your angry emails. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Matt Brown. Matt, what's going on, buddy? Please don't send me your angry email. But please <laughs> read it. That'd be great. Yeah, it, it was very well done. It's just that uh, I believe Matt mentioned to me that he didn't get as many angry emails as he anticipated. So I just, I just want you all to uh, you know, reach the expectation that Matt thought he was going to get to when he started this project. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the thoughtfulness, Bill. <laughs> Not a problem, buddy. How you doing? I'm great. I am finishing my Pac-12 preview, ready to, you know, we're, we're only two weeks or ten days when we're recording this, we're 10 days away from Cal versus Hawaii in, in Australia. So uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, I, I remember discussing this with you, and I was rather upset that that game didn't kick off at like 4 a.m. on a Thursday or something just because of like how time zones work and whatnot. But yeah, uh, it, it's getting so close. And what better way to celebrate how close college football is than to sit down and discuss the Big Ten, the biggest conference in all the land. There are several teams that can make it to the college football playoff out of the Big Ten and Iowa. We're going to talk about all of those teams, and we're going to actually go in order. And I just have like one big question as kind of a starting off point for every team uh, that I think uh, it's a good place for us to start, and then we'll just let the conversation go from there. And we're going from west to east in project- projected order a finish that Matt thinks every team's going to end up in in the conference. So first, starting out in the West, the team that's going to come in last place, according to Matt, the Purdue Boilermakers. Matt, my question for you, what font should Daryl Hazell use to make his resume really pop? Well, yeah, well you know, I, I know I'm going out on a limb here, having Purdue in last place. That's never happened before. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, everybody else got fired last year. You know, Illinois replaced its coach twice in a year. Rutgers got rid of its coach. Indiana, or Maryland got rid of its coach. So all the worst teams in the Big Ten are making coaching changes, except for Purdue. And, you know, the thing that stands out most about Daryl Hazel is that he has won six games in three years. Do you know how many games Danny Hope won in his final year at Purdue? Can I go out and a living guess? Please do. Is it six? It is six. It has taken Daryl Hazel three years to match Danny Hope's final year win total. <laughs> Danny Hope went to a bowl game in his final year. Not that he shouldn't have been fired or that he was the right guy for Purdue's future. It's just this is how bad things have gotten. And 
Purdue just hired a new athletic director. Uh, so when you combine the fact that he is six and thirty with a new athletic director coming in and a little hope for improvement this year, even if they're a little bit better, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about a new <coughs> Purdue football coach next year. Yeah, and the weird thing about Purdue is, like, I, I, I think this is something we've all talked about is that it's not a program where you can't win. Like, Purdue has a history of winning some football games. It's just... Some. Re- some, yes. <laughs> it's just recently it's kind of turned into this black hole of a college football program. I mean, Nick, what is the shot in the arm that this program needs, and how much would it cost uh, for <laughs> Purdue to get him from Western Michigan? you're clever um thank you uh i'm gonna ignore the second part of that and i'm just gonna say that i think what i mean honestly if there's if there was a the god this question sucks i mean if if there was a really a way for purdue to take a step forward it would be to strike soon while the west is in such disarray i mean there's no i mean it really sucks that they're not in position to at least be average this year because this is the kind of season where an average team could end up winning the west and losing to michigan in the championship game <clears throat> i just want to point out you are not saying that you think purdue is going to win the west no not okay, yet good, I'm not. Good, good. no 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 <clears throat> uh no uh yeah i don't it's 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 an interesting question when you look at teams like this because every I mean every team has cycles of good play and every team has cycles of poor play and it's I mean for most people no like a lot of people watching college football now like our generation can't even remember a time when Purdue was good or even acceptable. So <clears throat> I mean it, I think it's going to take as you alluded to it's going to take hiring uh, an innovative coach who at least just tries to do things completely differently and really tries to just put the other teams in the West on their heads. Cause Can I throw something other... ridiculous out there? Go ahead. Always. Do you know which coach on the hot seat right now is a played linebacker for Purdue? I know the answer to this question, so I'm going to let Nick answer it. Uh. He also has an insane buyout and makes $5 million a year and is not going to be the next Purdue head coach. But it's fun to think about. I will give you one more hint, Nick. Yes, sir. Why, why are you putting me on the spot like this? I haven't thought about football in like two weeks. <laughs> well, okay, um, he has uh, not been a good coach since Johnny Manziel left him. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying Kevin Sumlin is going to be the next really? Purdue coach, but he is a Purdue alum who might get fired this year. So, hey, come on. Yeah, I, to- I pro- totally gonna, forgot that. It's probably going to be something like Dave Wanstead or something very Purdue. So. Oh, that would be outstanding. <laughs> that would be so great. The yeah. prerequisite... They, to get Purdue back to where it needs to be is to hire a guy with a mustache. So, <laughs> I, I, someone seems like the kind of guy who can grow out, you know, the grow out a mustache. So I wouldn't put that past him. But yeah, I'm looking at this Purdue team. I, it's a team that it brings back a lot on defense. I mean, it has to replace uh, basically it's two starting cornerbacks, but I think essentially every other starter is back. Um, it needs to replace a few bodies on the offensive line. It has a quarterback, <clears throat> kind of. I'm going to uh, point out that it brings back a lot of a defense that gave up 41 points to Marshall, 51 to Virginia Tech, <laughs> uh, 41 to Minis- 41 to Minnesota, <laughs> 48 God. to Illinois, 54 to Indiana, 40 to, 40 to Iowa. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. Worse than I thought. <laughs> I, if you're like the kind of person who really values uh, experience, produce a team that you can maybe talk yourself into. And then you look at their schedule and um, uh, they play Eastern Kentucky in their first game. And then the rest is just against a bunch of teams that are either pretty good. So like Penn State and Iowa and stuff like that, or not great. And there's not really much in between. Like, they don't really have, once they get past, like, Nevada, that one week where you can talk yourself into going, oh, you know what, maybe Purdue could do something here. So <laughs> I, I don't see many reasons for hope in this team. Um, maybe uh, one of you guys can talk me into this. But I, um, yeah, I think it's going to be another really long year out at Purdue. I mean, I can't talk you into it, and I don't want to, and I don't really want to talk about Purdue anymore. But I do. Can we talk for a second about how there is no bigger, uh, there is no bigger like biased uh, argument in college football than, oh, we're bringing back all the same players from last year. They will we have to be good, or versus they're bringing all the same players back from last year. They're going to be terrible again. I I think that's the most interesting thing. Don't go in the direction I think you're about to go in. Uh, would, uh, does it involve the offensive line of our alma mater? Oh no no no! Okay. <laughs> no, well, but, no, I mean bi- bias. So clearly for us, yeah. that means they're going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's Purdue. Uh, if you know anyone who is a Purdue alumnus, buy them an extra beer or thirty this off season because I th- yeah I mean I'd say this off season because. Is slowly but surely coming to an end, and once the season starts, they deserve no love or sympathy. Let's move on uh, to the next team in the Big Ten. Uh, Matt has them going five and seven with a three and six conference mark. That would be one of the more intriguing teams in the Big Ten, and I just say that because their off season has been like quietly crazy. And that is uh, the Illinois Fighting Illini. Um, Lovey Smith, he's a college coach now. Who'd have thunked it? Nick, is Lovey Smith the long-term answer out there? No. Okay. No, good. Absolutely not. Why, I mean, why do you say that? <clears throat> I mean, I when you have a guy like that who's I mean, it it's been a little while since he's since he's had great success in the NFL, but I feel like for him, this is just a really good chance to kind of stamp his name on a pro, a program that has some pieces to work with. It's it's not taking over a completely like barren team like there there are some things that he could <clears throat> do some pretty interesting things with on the field this year i think this is just more of a chance for him to kind of reset and rebuild his reputation as a coach so i don't i mean he might be there for two or three years maybe but i don't think he'll be there i i would be shocked if he was there for four years interesting and matt is that a sentiment that you kind of share because i don't know if I think that he's using this as a springboard to another NFL job, at least not right now, just because he, I don't think he seems like the kind of guy who will, you know, be there for one year and then the Tennessee Titans job opens up and he's like, yeah, peace, I'm gone. It's tough to tell. I mean, it's a guy who hasn't coached in college football for what, about 20 years. Uh, and, you know, Illinois is, well, it's a tough challenge. I mean, Illinois is not. I feel like it does not have as much historic success as I think. I mean, they've been ranked in the top twenty-five to end the season three times since nineteen ninety. They've mm-hmm. been to consecutive. They have not 
been to consecutive bowl game or no, they've been to consecutive bowl games once since 1991 to 1992. So even when they have a good season, you know, Ron Zook somehow took them to the Rose Bowl in 2007 when they <laughs> lost four games. Uh, you know, they haven't finished in the top 25 since then. Uh, they haven't gone better than seven and six since then. It's just a it's a tougher job than it seems like it should be. And I don't know. It's tough to predict with a guy like, you know, this is a very strange move. A guy, you know, a longtime NFL coach, uh, you know, been a head coach of the Bears and the Buccaneers and, you know, mixed success, but pretty good coach. Yeah. And to be jumping to, you know, not just a college job, but one that has the resume that I just rattled off. Uh, and, you know, who knows? How, how is a guy like that going to take to recruiting? You know, guys go to the NFL because they hate recruiting for one reason. Chip Kelly hates recruiting. He's still in the NFL. Uh, you know, Levy Smith hasn't recruited in 20 years. He's back doing that. He's recruiting to Illinois. So it's not like you're recruiting to, you know, Florida or something. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little bit skeptical. But if I'm an Illinois fan, I'm happy about it. It shows an investment and some hope. Look, they hired a, a competent coach who's been a longtime NFL coach. It's better than what they've had. Yeah. It's better than Tim Beckman. Friend of Nick Polak, Tim Beckman. God, I was so sad the day I found out he changed his phone number. <laughs> yes, for, for those of you who aren't aware, one day a recruit tweeted out Tim Beckman's phone number. And before said recruit was able to delete it, Nick um, put Tim Beckman's phone number in his phone. And the two of them have had something of a correspondence. Um, I believe you wished him Merry Christmas. You, I wished him Merry Christmas you wished with, him a, good with, a black, with a black Santa. Ah, and you wished <laughs> and, him good luck after he got fired, correct? Yes, yes. yes. I, said, I said, keep your head up. The good things are coming. <laughs> um, uh, I believe I also texted him on Arbor Day once. I don't think he answered that one. <laughs> but yeah, uh, let's. I mean, looking at <laughs> Illinois' roster, I mean, there's some talent here. Like Wes Lund has, yeah, he's a talented enough yeah. dude. He's just pr- he's just <laughs> prone to doing some really really dumb stuff every now and then, and he's about as mobile as a chair. Keyshawn Vaughn may be an all right running back. Then there's just a lot of nothing on offense on the line. They have like the two good players. Yeah. And Actually, they have three, but one of them is torn as ACL. One of them is injured yeah, and uh, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, Mikey Dudek is one of those guys I just really want to root for. So he's going to be, I if he's able to, you know, all the red shirts and whatnot, he's probably going to graduate college in like 2019 or 2020, correct? Like that would be his last year. That He'll be in the new Aberderis. Yeah, so <laughs> so he will catch his first pat, play his first college game in 2014, and then graduate during the next midterm. No, during the next presidential election, maybe, which would be outstanding. Uh, and then, yeah, on defense, they don't really. They have a couple good players yeah. on defense. Dewan Smoot is a really really good defensive end. Uh, Hardy Nickerson from Cal. He transfers from Cal to play for his dad, who is now the defensive coordinator. So, you know, there's a couple solid players, but this is a team that lost 39 to nothing to Penn State last year, if you you might remember that. Uh, You know, played pretty good defense overall last year, but they lose six of their top seven tacklers. Their best offensive player is out for the second year in a row, and Westland is fine. He's solid. He's, He's the Big Ten's Nate Peterman in that he is kind of the median for, like, He's right in the middle of what a quarterback is. He's not good and he's not yes. bad. Yeah, he's a very Big Ten West quarterback, even though he started at Oklahoma State. <laughs> so I kind of love they play West North Carolina and Western Michigan yep. non-conference. Western Michigan's good, as we mentioned, <laughs> and they play Michigan and Michigan State from the Big Ten East. Yeah, and getting to bowl eligibility is not easy. I was about to say my favorite thing about this team is that they have to replace, uh, I believe, five dudes in their secondary, and week two they play North Carolina, which. 
I don't know how many points Larry Fedora wants to score in every football game, but we are going to find out in that game what a Larry Fedora, what like his benchmark is for a single football game. Even when Illinois' defense was okay last year, North Carolina scored 48. Yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, last year, Illinois was the team that, like, Hackenberg caught a wheel route for a touchdown against, right? Or was that Indiana? I think that was Illinois. It was Illinois? Pretty okay, sure yes. that was Illinois. Yeah. Oh, man. Isn't college <laughs> football just great, guys? Uh, so, yeah, Illinois, Lovey Smith, a team that exists. Uh, let's move on uh, to a team. Speaking of teams that exist. Speaking of teams <laughs> that <laughs> Matt has them at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, They lost their offensive coordinator. We know this because Penn State now employs him. That would be the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And Matt, we'll start with you. What is higher? They're placing the 2016 Big Ten West standings or the round that potential first-round pick Mitch Leiner is drafted in. Oh, I just... For those of you who don't know, oh. ESPN's Todd McShay, who was a person, has this theory that... Uh, and this is, I hate to say this because everyone knows uh, how I feel about the dude, but I think this is kind of what it feels like, felt like to a lot of non-Penn State fans to watch Hackenberg. They just see a guy who's tall and can throw a football, and people were like really high on him. Liner is 6'4", 230, and has an arm that's functioning, and for some reason that is what has scouts that Todd McShay talks to drooling. But yeah, um, they're all looking for the next Carson yeah. Wentz. Hey, it's this yeah. guy from yeah. a random place in the uh, upper western Midwest who is big recruit. and can move his feet, and he's got some talent. But it, it's just yeah, it seems like a little bit much. I mean, you mentioned Hackenberg. Well, Leidner finished uh, eight spots behind Hackenberg nationally in passer rating last year. <sighs> uh, Fourteen touchdowns, eleven picks, only a six point six yards per attempt. He didn't actually run that much last year. Um, and at least Hack know. was I, supposed I just, to be good. Like, he was a five-star. Mitch Leidner was a two-star recruit. Right. Like, I think he's got some talent, and I think the offense is going to get a little bit better, and they have an easier schedule this year. Uh, you know, last year they played Michigan and Ohio State. This year they play uh, they play at Penn State, but they play Rutgers and uh, Maryland. So, you know... Th- Trading Rutgers in Maryland for or Michigan and Ohio State for Rutgers in Maryland that helps and that's going to make your offense better. It's going to look make Leidner look a bit better, but I don't know. It just still feels like it's going to be a team similar to last year where I, they're they're okay. Their secondary has to rebuild a little bit. They need a more of a pass rush. Uh, their offensive line loses three starters. It wasn't great last year. I don't know. I, I'm not sold on Tracy Clay's either. I think he's still kind of a permanent interim coach. So I, I, it's an easy schedule. Maybe they can compete in that in the Big Ten West because anybody but Purdue can compete. But I just don't really see it. Yeah, um, I. It's really hard to look at anything about uh, this Minnesota team and go, "Yeah, I'm inspired by that." I can't wait to watch Shannon, that Minnesota game. Yeah, Shannon Brooks is fun. Yeah, I mean, like they'll have one or two players who are kind of fun because they just do that. And that's kind of it. And you turn them on, and they're playing in a game that ends 24-17, and you don't know if they have the 24 or the 17, because that's just what Minnesota football does. Um, Nick, do you have any hot takes on Minnesota football, or would you rather not talk about them? Uh, first of all, those don't exist. <laughs> Second of all... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, Mitch Leidner, first-round pick. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> 
Um, that's, not it. that's about the only one. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, I really don't. Um, I mean, like I, I, I really, I really do like Shannon Brooks a lot. Uh, so I think he's a sophomore. This, yeah, sophomore, uh, running back. I, I think he could actually be pretty good. Um, but yeah, aside aside from him, I don't really have any reason to care about Minnesota this year. Yeah, well, same. So let's move on to a team that I am actually uh, kind of interested in discussing, not through the lens of this year's team, but in more like, well, I mean, they do have, you know, I believe Matt said he's the best linebacker in America, but a really, really interesting program, and that's Northwestern. And Matt, uh, Nick, we'll start with you on this one. Has Northwestern established itself as one of the best programs in the Big Ten? If they have, what's the next step for them? And if they have not, what do they need to do to get to that level? Because this is a team that consistently is pretty good. It just hasn't ever made you go, wow, that's a great football team, except for that one year where they got game day and then got blew up by Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say that they haven't jumped into that like top tier of the Big Ten. They've I mean, yes, they play in the West, but they have consistently been winning for the last, what, like five years now? I mean, they've been, yeah. I mean, five and seven, two years in a row. Yeah. True. True. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I've, it's, it's not that I think they are that good as a program. It's that I, they've just earned it by default. It's hard for me to say that they're not, they haven't taken a step forward. Um, <clears throat> I'd say, but I mean, they, they kind of are starting. They they kind of resemble like a poor man's uh, Bo Pelini, Nebraska, in a way, in that they clearly have talent, they clearly can win games, but they don't really appear like they are going to take another step forward and really jump into the bigger national conversation. That's kind of where I'm at with Northwestern right now. That's an interesting point because I look back on them last year and yeah, there was that win over Stanford that in retrospect, it was kind of ruined everything. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is why you don't have East coast. I, or that would have been an 11 AM kick an 11 AM kick for a West coast team. You assholes who schedule football games and other than that, like they beat a bunch of teams that were pretty solid, but based on you know F, uh, Bill Connolly's F plus uh, metric, the th- three of the four best teams they played, or no, uh, three of the five best teams they played were Michigan, Iowa, and Tennessee, and they lost those games. Um, I'm going to, to sixteen. What was that? One hundred and twenty-three to sixteen. One hundred twenty-three to sixteen. So yeah, like. They were good against teams that were all right, but then when they played those really great teams, they got just demolished. And maybe year two of Clayton Thorson, who I like, I think he could play. Justin Jackson has another year, and he's maybe the second best running back in the Big Ten uh, behind Saquon Barkley, and I will fight anyone who disagrees. And then they have, you know, one of the best linebackers in America and Anthony Walker. There's some talent on this team. And it's the kind of team, Matt, that maybe, like we've said, the the West isn't that great this year. Maybe they're the kind of team that can kind of replicate what they did this year, except maybe they're able to get over 
the teams like Iowa and Nebraska and Wisconsin and maybe win this division. Do you think that's a crazy thought or do you think that's gen- a pretty realistic aspiration for this program to have? I don't think it's crazy. I mean, uh, you know, they have a very good defense. They're going to get better on offense. But I, look at it. It's like, how did they win all those close games last year when their quarterback play was very, very uh, not good? They never yeah. lost. <laughs> I mean, Northwestern, North, Northwestern finished 122nd in yards per play last year. <sighs> right behind them was Kansas and Boston College and Missouri. <laughs> awful, so awful on offense. And they were one spot behind uh, Louisiana Monroe. Northwestern's offense was really bad last year, and they beat, you know, they go 10-3, and three, but they had a point differential of plus 12 for the season. Mm-hmm. So their point differential makes them sound like a 500 team, and they went 10-3. and three. Uh, They got blown out by the three best teams they played. Uh, you know, they beat, they kind of stole a win from Wisconsin that they got a really, really lucky break uh, on a weird call by the Big Ten refs. Uh, they beat Penn State, and that was kind of a game mismanaged by Penn State at the end. Um you know, they beat Purdue by seven, Nebraska by two, Ball Illinois State by, by five, Duke by nine. They beat Stanford by ten. Obviously, you give them credit for that. I think they probably would have got blown out by Stanford if the game was played, uh, you know, at the end of the season rather, rather than the beginning of the season. Oh, that would have been a bloodbath. So, but look, yeah, they're going to get a little bit better on offense. Thorson was a touted recruit. Their offensive line should get a little bit better. They need to take some pressure off of Justin Jackson, who. He's 190 pounds and had 312 carries and uh, 21 catches last year. But I just, I, I think they're kind of destined to take a little bit of a step back because I don't think it's their record in close games is not repeatable, even if they get a little bit better on, on offense. I mean, they got to play at Michigan State, at Ohio State, at Iowa. Uh, you know, non conference isn't terrible, but you know, Western Michigan at home and Duke at home are both losable games. So I don't know. I have them at seven and five. I think. Look, they could win the conference, or the not the conference. They could win the division because weird things happen in the Big Ten West, and it's winnable. And they're going to have a really good defense. But I, I, I don't know. I think they are what they are. In Northwestern, they're capable of a good run like last year, every few years. But it's hard for them to sustain, you know, ten win season after ten win season. If there is good news for this Northwestern team. It's that their new superback, which is my favorite position in college football because I like calling people superbacks, is a former four-star recruit who's six foot three and two hundred and forty-five pounds, and they will find funny ways to get that dude the ball in space. And I just want to watch Garrett Dickerson run over people because that is what makes college football fun: watching little five foot nine, one hundred and seventy-pound cornerbacks who are fresh out of high school try and tackle you know monstrous human beings that are you know bred at Northwestern at the Medill School of Journalism. Let's move on to a team that is pretty weird because they may be okay. Like, they're going to consistently churn out, you know, eight, nine, ten win seasons. But if they do that, if they churn out a nine or a ten win season this year with the schedule that they have, that's going to be a minor miracle. That is the Wisconsin Badgers. I'm just going to read... Um, we're going to remove the Akron and Georgia State games, and we're going to read off their first uh, one, two, three, four, five, seven games against opponents that aren't terrible. LSU on a neutral field at Michigan State, at Michigan, Ohio State, at Iowa, Nebraska, and at Northwestern. Um, Matt, is it? I, how likely is it that we see a two or a three win 
LSU team heading into their final three games against Illinois, Purdue, and Minnesota? Wisconsin team. Wisconsin. <laughs> My bad. They're, they'll do. They'll win a few of these games, but you know they're like Northwestern last year that they had a fake ten win season. I mean, congratulations to them. They won ten games. That's you know it's it's hard to do that, but they weren't as good as the record. Um, you know they 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 played that game against Alabama, and then the rest of the year they kind. Of, I mean they lost two close games. That's it. But they also didn't beat anybody, and the running game was not good. Their offensive line was not good, and we never say that about Wisconsin. Both should get better this year. Uh, Corey Clement is back at running back. The offensive line is going to get better. Paul Christ is a good offensive line coach. Um, but they don't have a quarterback yet. They lost uh, Dave Aranda. They're a very, very good defensive coordinator. They lost him to LSU. Um, their defense was awesome last year. It's probably still going to be pretty good. But, you know, when you look at the their passing game, when you look at probably a little bit of regression on defense, and you look at the ridiculous schedule. Last year they played Rutgers and Maryland from the Big Ten East. This year they play Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State in a row. It could not flip more terribly for Wisconsin schedule-wise. It's just, you know, it's really, really hard for a Big Ten West team to have one of the hardest schedules in the country, but somebody in the Big Ten office did not like Wisconsin this yeah. year because that's what they have. So I have them at 7-5. and five. I can't really – it's hard to see them any better than 8-4 and four in the regular season just because, you know, they, they don't have a quarterback and the schedule is so hard. How dare you say that about – What's his name? Bart Houston. Yeah, that's the one who's going to be playing quarterback. I, I never know. With well, they're, I mean, they're all the same pretty much. But. Wait a minute. Tanner McAvoy graduated. Dang it, I wanted to see if they would try and move him back to quarterback. From McAvoy's safety. a Seahawk, baby. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I'm very upset that Joel Stave graduated. He is like... Proof. He be Wisconsin's all-time quarterback. Exactly. Like, I believe that every But college... he, he also has been because all of their quarterbacks yeah. have basically been Joel Stave. <laughs> I believe that every college athletic program should be allowed to designate one athlete as a, an all-time player. So basically, he just gets to room and board for free. He gets a stipend, and he just does that until he, he or she decide that they want to move on to something else in their life. And I think that Joel Stave would have played football for Wisconsin until he was like 41 years old if they would it's funny him. it's funny to me that you think they would choose someone other than Jared Aberderis for that role well I mean <laughs> the thing is like Jared Aberderis would have moved on to the NFL Joel Stave um I'm gonna look up where Joel Stave is right now because I really want to figure this out oh my god he's with the Minnesota Vikings I completely forgot about that he went undrafted so uh yeah this is I forgot that this team has Corey Clement back, who may be good. Uh, he got nicked up a little bit last year and wasn't able to play. Taiwan Deal, another guy who may be a good running back. So there's a chance that this backfield is able to do some Wisconsin stuff. It still has some big old guys up in the offensive line who are somewhere between six foot three and six foot six and all the way over two three hundred pounds. So. They should be able to run the ball on some teams. Uh, the defense has – it's a Wisconsin defense. It's going to have a bunch of really hard-nosed dudes. Even if they there's another Watt. Oh, there's another Watt. There, there oh, is another Watt. Watt. Linebacker yeah. T.J. Watt. Breakout candidate. Okay. Get ready. Yeah, I'm so – I am definitely not ready for everything that's going to be written about him. But, yeah, uh, they have to replace some dudes in their secondary. But this is a team that, like, you know – I think if it's able to win two of those games during that really hellacious schedule, let's say, for argument's sake, Michigan State and Nebraska, because no one's going to beat Iowa. I'm saying this because I love you, Iowa football bloggers and fans, and I don't want you to send me hate mail. Uh, 
Yeah, this is a team that... For the record, I have them beating yeah. Iowa for some reason. That's the one I had marked down. <laughs> All right. Uh, Interesting. The Big Ten West is weird. <laughs> That's my <laughs> argument for all of these. The Big I Ten mean, West the, is very was, weird. I mean, when I did like a really quick just fill in win loss, just getting a basic like look at what I thought teams would finish at. I think I had Wisconsin at five wins, but uh, if Jack, it, Matt, let's see, if, is it Jack Cici? I don't, I don't know how to say his last name. The kid, the kid who ended the bowl game last year, the kid who got three straight sacks against USC. No, oh, I don't believe I was watching that. I was in Miami. <laughs> All right, well, Jack, well, irrelevant. Jack, if he and Vince Beagle can ball out this year, then that defense could actually be pretty awesome, even without having Dave Aranda anymore. Yeah, it'll be good so, for sure. Yeah, yeah, if if they if those two can kind of take the next step and kind of fill in what uh, Joe the Show ended up doing last year then I think that this could be like a seven-win team, but I don't think they're going any higher than that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's Wisconsin, though, so they're going to go eight, somewhere between eight and four and ten and two, and we're just going to shrug our shoulders and go, yeah, okay, whatever. Corey Clem's probably going to rush for 1,300 yards at least, though. Yeah, that's just what Wisconsin does. Uh, the next team, it, Matt has them at 8-4. and four. They have the nicest man in college football as their head coach, according to everyone who has ever come in contact with him. Um, and it's a team that lost something like five or six games by 12 points. I think it was they five games by 12 They were the anti-Northwestern last year. What was that? They were the anti-Northwestern. Yeah, it was. I believe it was something like five games by 12 points. Just something completely ridiculous that... I mean, it makes me wonder, and the question for uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and Matt, we'll start with you, is this team, if they can just maybe get one or two bounces to go their way this season that didn't go their way last season, could this be a team that, could this be the team that is able to win this division just based on the fact that they got a little bit luckier than they were last season? Yeah, I, I have not tied with Iowa atop the division at 6-3, and three, but I have Iowa winning the head-to-head at home but, you know, Nebraska, they lost seven games last year. You know, they're one of the weird teams like Minnesota that had a losing record despite winning a bowl game because of the strange five and seven bowl team thing last year. Uh, but Nebraska, you know, their seven losses were by a total of 31 points. You know, they lost on a Hail Mary by a backup quarterback in week one. Uh, they came all the way back and lost in overtime to Miami. Uh, they messed up the clock against Illinois. They gave up a game winning field goal at the end against Wisconsin. I don't even know what I don't remember what happened in some of these other games. Purdue they they had like seven turnovers with a backup quarterback. Just every bad thing that could happen somehow went, uh, you know, did happen except for the Michigan State game where they kind of got lucky with a win. Oh yeah, they got uh, but so lucky. Overall, they had much more bad luck than good luck. So yes. you know, they do have to replace a lot of their line play. You know, their their offensive line they lose three starters. Their defensive line's entirely new. They lose a couple of really good defensive tackles. They, their pass defense was atrocious last year. So when you look at the need to develop a pass rush with the problems they had in the secondary, there are red flags. But you're also playing in the Big Ten West, which is not exactly a hotbed for quarterback play. Yeah. Um, you know, their offense, they, they found in, when they beat UCLA in the Foster Farmers Bowl, they got Tommy Armstrong running a little bit more. And that's what they need to do because he's just – I don't, I don't think he's going to develop enough as a passer. He, he's inconsistent with his decision-making, inconsistent with his accuracy. He has some good talent around him, you know, Jordan Wester camp at receiver, but there's too many holes for Nebraska to suddenly you know, get back to being some you know, 
eleven and two team or something like that again. Yeah, but they have enough talent where I think they can get back to that the Pelini zone and, and lose four games. Oh, the legendary nine and four. That'll make everybody thrilled, I'm sure. At least after last year, it will. <laughs> uh, Bo Pelini would probably just rip his office apart wherever he is right now. We we miss you, Bo. And uh, and Mike Riley will probably apologize personally to every fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm looking at their schedule right now. They get Oregon at home. Uh, the rest of their non-conference. That's a big game. That's a weird That's game a, between yeah. two teams that are like two coaches with something to prove. Yeah, both programs kind of at a crossroads right now, and. I, I, the winner of that game, it's going to be a huge win for whichever team wins it and a huge loss for whichever team loses it. So that's going to be one of those really fun games where both teams just go all out for 60 minutes. And then the rest of Nebraska's schedule, like uh, I, across the Big Ten, they got Indiana, Ohio State, and Maryland, which, yeah, Ohio State's tough, but if you have to pick two other teams to two teams to get from the East... IU and Maryland are like, yeah, okay, let's rock and roll with that. Uh, the rest of their schedule isn't too tough. I mean, at Northwestern, Iowa, and Wisconsin is brutal, but it's again, it's the Big Ten West, as we've said over and over. So it's I want, don't want to say favorable, but it's not a horrible meat grinder of a schedule that's going to ruin this team. Uh, they bring back Tommy Armstrong. They bring back Terrell Newby. They bring back Jordan Westerkamp, who is firmly in Aberderis, the Aberderis zone of just being around forever. They're and, just the same person. <laughs> yeah, they could be. And yeah, then other than that, like Pier- this is Pearsonell's back too. Oh yeah, Dionne Pearsonell. I love that dude. But yeah, this is a team that it's. It, it seems like it could be in a lot of really close games again this year. And Nick, what's your? If you had to have a confidence level for uh, Nebraska heading in to 2016 where would you put it at oh com confidence level i i don't have a level of confidence in any team in the big 10 west but i i really like the way that their schedule sets up i mean if you look at the according to the s p there's only one game where their win probability is less than 50 percent, and that's the ohio state game everything else they are technically favored to win according to bill Connolly's numbers and i i mean I, college football has a funny way of of paying back karma, and I feel like we're going to see that this year. So I feel pretty confident in saying that Nebraska is going to win at least eight games this season, and it wouldn't really be surprising at all to see the nine or ten. I think they're. I mean i I think that I think that the uh, Iowa game at the end of the season, the winner of that game will end up going to the championship game, and I think at that point Nebraska might be able to win that game. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think that we all agree that the team that we love the most in the West and the team with the best fans that are not angry or crazy at all would be the team that Matt has winning the West, and that would be the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, they were uh, Cinderella for college football last year. I don't think anyone expected them to be anywhere near as good as their I – mean, that's this team won their first 12 games – and then they lost to Michigan State because Michigan State had like a 24-play drive to win the Big Ten championship game. And then they played Christian McCaffrey. But this was a team that, I mean, again, schedule's not great, but it was a very solid, very respectable football team that was able to win 12 games. So, Nick, is this a team that could replicate the Cinderella season that they had last year behind your guy, C.J. Beathard? 
I do love CJ Beathard, but uh, I don't think so because a lot of the things they did, they, I mean, they won a lot of close games. They did a lot of things right, like in the trenches and sh- picking up clutch third downs and things like that. And uh, I mean, did they have any injuries on defense all year? I mean, they true were most of the year. Yeah, well, yeah, true, true, true. Aside from that big one, um, but I mean, they were they were really consistent at doing the little things right that win you football games last year. And as well as they seem set up to kind of do that again, it's hard to have everything go your way in those situations for two seasons in a row. Uh, but that being said, they have who I think is the best defensive player in the big 10 in Desmond King. Uh, they have a lot of really good pieces around him. They still have not necessarily great, but solid and at least fun and interesting guys on offense like CJ Beathard and uh, let's see which running backs to love. LaShawn Daniels is great. Uh, Akram Wadley was good in his limited time last year. <clears throat> and I mean, the schedule is, I mean, nothing daunting. Miami, Ohio, Miami, Ohio combined, not separate. Miami of Ohio. Uh, yeah, Miami go. of Ohio. Iowa State, uh, the, the at. El Asico, of course. Uh, North Dakota State, Rutgers, Northwestern, Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan, Illinois, Nebraska. I mean, there's nothing on that schedule that should be, I mean, really frightening. I mean, going to Penn State for a night game is tough. Uh, Like we just talked about a minute ago, we don't really know what Wisconsin's going to be. Northwestern will be an interesting game. Then that Nebraska game at the end of the year will be... Uh, probably one of their toughest games of the season, but it's really not. It's it's certainly not a murderer's row schedule. So while I don't think they'll, they won't be nearly as good as last year. They certainly won't be undefeated. Um, I have no problem seeing them winning the West again. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the interesting thing about their schedule is it's set up in such a way that. I mean, the end of their season, I mean, last year they closed out their season with Maryland, Indiana, uh, Minnesota, Purdue, and then a tough game against Nebraska. This year, they're not really going to be able to coast at the end of the year. Well, I don't want to say coast because I mean, they obviously worked hard for those games, but they're going to face some really stiff competition at the end of the year with Wisconsin at Penn State, Michigan, uh, and Nebraska as four of their five last games, so... I, I think that will make them a better team. I think they do have some really interesting pieces. I want to see what they're able to do, uh, replacing a few offensive linemen or replacing, uh, you know, two big receivers and Tavon Smith and Jacob Hillier, and then uh, replacing their tight end and Henry Coble. So, it, uh, I mean, it's a yeah. I mean, why not, Matt? I'm going to give you a really tough job. Why won't Iowa replicate their Cinderella season? Well, the thing is, I think they're going to be, I think they're as good of a team as they were last year. They have a lot of the key pieces back. It's just, they're, they're not going to repeat that. I think it could look this look similar for two-thirds of the year when you look at the, you know, their schedule. I, I have them losing, I think I have them dropping the game at Minnesota because you know, they're, they're, they're going to randomly lose one of these games probably. But um, between that, you know, Beathard was, was not even 100% healthy last year. He should be able to move around a little bit better, which is one of the, his big attributes is that he can move the pocket and make plays on the run. Um, you know, the running game's fine. Uh, the offensive line's fine. The defensive secondary is really good. They, you know, they have talented players on each level of the defense. So they're going to be a good team. They're going to be a competent team. But 
regression seems kind of like it's just going to happen. You know, in 2009, they went 11 and 2, finished number 7. The next year, they opened number 9 in the AP poll and ended up finishing 8 and 5 with, with a lot of their roster back. And even though if you look at, you know, at their, their SRS rating on, on sports reference, those teams were almost identical, but they were three wins different. Uh, and you could very well see that la- this year. I mean, I have them at nine and three, uh, six and three in, in the in the division or in the conference, and beating Wisconsin. Sorry, beating Nebraska for the division. But you know, if you see, go nine and three and lose the bowl game, that's that's three losses or three more, three fewer wins than last year. So I, I think they're going to be a very similar team that just loses more games because that's the type of thing that happens in college football when you win a lot of close games and have a thin margin for error and are bound to make a few more mistakes. So I think we're, I, Matt, I know you picked Iowa to win the West. Nick, do you also have Iowa winning the West? Yeah, I do. I, I, I'll go Nebraska. I don't feel good about it at all, but just to, you know, change things up a little, I guess I'll pick then. Let's get to the, what the division that we care about. Let's talk about the East. Uh, And to start the East, I just lumped two teams together. Um, because I f- don't think either of them are going to be very good this year. But I think that they're two fairly similar, similar programs in Maryland and Rutgers. And Nick, we'll start with you. Uh, which one of these two is able to become good first? And you can define good however you want to. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say I love the fact that we're combining these two, but we gave Purdue their own segment. So yeah, well, bra- bravo to that. In fairness, the question about Purdue had more to do with fonts than anything related <laughs> to their program. True, true, true. Um, I think I think Maryland has a better chance to take a step forward sooner than Rutgers. I think both have at least a shot to. I but think both of them at least have potential to make a move at some point in the future. But I think I think Maryland is closer. It's. It's hard to tell. I, if they had kept Dwayne Haskins, I would have felt a lot better about that. Uh, but I've, I mean, everyone's, everyone's pretty much been calling Maryland just like, like the next team to blow up for however many years just because of the whole Under Armour thing. Um, but I think DJ Durkin was a really interesting hire. I don't know if he was necessarily the best hire. I think they could have benefited from some sort of uh, more offensive-minded guy. But... I mean, there's. It's hard to argue against getting a guy who's worked with both Harbaugh and Meyer, um, and a guy who's shown that he can recruit, especially in a recruiting hotbed like the DMV area. Like, there's a lot of a lot of really talented guys out here that they'll. Uh, yes, I live in Virginia. I accidentally said here, but uh, there's a lot of guys out there that he's gonna be able to go get and kind of infuse this program. Um, I don't think that happens this year, though. I think they are still missing a lot. Um, I would love to see Will likely continue to get the ball on offense more and see what he can do there because that might make things a little more interesting in some of those uh, in some early season games especially. But uh, I do think that Maryland will take a step forward sooner than Rutgers will. Okay, interesting. And uh, you forgot to mention uh, that the thing that could have really blown the doors off for this Maryland program would have been if they did what they were supposed to do and hire Chip Kelly. <laughs> who was who was very obviously considering the Maryland job that wasn't just message board fodder. Yeah, uh, no, no, of course, of course. And yeah, Matt, uh I, I, I mean I 
can't see a scenario in which Rutgers is able to um, ascend in the Big Ten before Maryland does. Um, can you? Like, I, I, I mean, I like Chris Ash. New Jersey is a lot of talent, but yeah, I, I mean, ugh, it's Rutgers. I'm a little bit more optimistic about Maryland, but you know, they both made good hires. They're fine. But, you know, yeah, Maryland had talked all about, you know, oh, Chip Kelly or this an offensive guy. And then they hire, you know, another defensive coordinator who's a very good coach and is a good recruiter, as you said, but is a Jim Harbaugh and, you know, assistant really going to close the gap on Jim Harbaugh in the conference, in the division? Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just terrible timing for either team to become great, you know? You're, you're, if, if Brady Hoke and Luke Fickle were the coaches and it was 2011, there'd be a window of opportunity to jump up. But right now you have Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh uh, and Mark D'Antonio and Penn State with an uncertain future, but coming off of sanctions, you're in the much, much more difficult division. There's a ceiling here, and, and it's what I don't know what, what those schools ultimately expect because Maryland isn't going to suddenly start competing for Big Ten titles on a regular basis in that division, and obviously neither is Rutgers. They're good, solid hires, but whether it gets above some, you know, eight and four ceiling, I don't know about that. Interesting. Uh, you have both of them going four and eight with Rutgers winning um, what is surely going to be a game that I don't watch. So, <laughs> um, it, yeah, like, can either of these teams make a surprise run for a bowl game? And if so, which one do you think is more likely to do it? Remember, in week one, Rutgers has to go to Washington. Yeah, it's probably Maryland a little bit more likely. Uh, Maryland plays, yeah, they play an easier schedule. Uh, although, you know, those, they play those really weird games at, at FIU and at UCF in the first three <laughs> games. I, I, don't, I know it's a recruiting thing, but still, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but I... Maryland, yeah, I would probably lean a little bit toward Maryland, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I'm not currently not confident with either team. I have both done yeah. four and eight. You know, Maryland gives up too many big plays on defense. Uh, they threw more interceptions than anybody else in the country last year. Huge questions at quarterback. Rutgers, their defense also has big questions. They get Darius Hamilton back, which is nice. They'll have a pretty good running game. But it's just, it, I think one of, you know, one of Indiana – Here's your segue. One of Indiana, Maryland, or Rutgers will go to a bowl game. I have Indiana as that team again. Oh, I forgot that Brad Craddock is gone. I liked him. Uh, but, yeah, that's actually a really good segue. After we mentioned that there's a, fe- a pretty good chance that Maryland wins f- its first four games and then comes into Happy Valley undefeated and just gets the piss beaten out of them by Penn State, which I'm kind of hoping for because that would be funny. But as Matt mentioned with a really good segue – Let's talk about the Indiana Hoosiers. And Matt, uh, we'll start with you on this one. Nate Sudfeld is gone. Jordan Howard is gone. Shane Wynn is gone. Jason Spriggs is gone. Those are, by every metric, their four best offensive players from last year. But despite that, is defense still the big question for this team? And, I mean, can the defense get to a point of respectability under Kevin Wilson that it just has not gotten to? It might be a little bit better, but it's you know the, I think the offense is going to be fine. Divine Redding ran for a thousand yards last year quietly as Jordan Howard's backup. Howard had some injury problems, 
you know, they they lose Jason Spriggs at tackle, but they still have a really good line. Dan Feeney is one of the best one of the best players in the country. That they're right guard. Um, so they've done a great job just kind of keeping that running game going, keeping that offensive line going. I think they're going to be fine in the passing game. Simi Cobbs, the wide receiver, is one of the most underrated players in the country. 17 yards per catch last year, 1,000 yards. Nobody really knows who he is. Um, so, you know, Kevin Wilson is, is a very, very good offensive coach, and I think Indiana will they'll, they'll score, score points. They'll be Indiana. What we come to expect from Indiana is kind of an erratic team that threatens to upset teams, doesn't actually pull it off, but threatens to. Makes a lot of teams nervous. Uh, you know, the question here is, or one thing with the Big Ten going to nine conference games, it does make it a little bit harder for a team like Indiana to go bowling. You know, if you look at their schedule last year, they had their bowl resume last year was wins over Southern Illinois, FIU, Wake Forest, Western Kentucky, who was good but was still a Conference USA team, Maryland, and Purdue. So the only competent team they beat to go to a bowl game last year was Western Kentucky. Uh, now you, you trade one of those non-conference games for a, another Big Ten game. Uh, they play Nebraska, Northwestern, and Purdue from the West, and they you know they drop one of the the easy non-conference games. So it makes it a little bit harder. You got to win three Big Ten games instead of two to get to a bowl. But I have them doing that. I think I think they'll do enough. The schedule is. You know, it's tough when you're in the Big Ten East, but there's enough winnable games they can do it. Yeah, I mean, they bring back, and again, I know Nick was railing on experience earlier, but for a team like Nebraska, they bring back everyone in their back seven. They have a really good kicker in Griffin Oaks. They, like you said, Simi Cobbs Jr. is a really good wide receiver. Divine Redding is a really good running back. I mean, for me, the big thing with them is, um. Can Xander Diamant throw a football, which the jury is still out on that. If he wins the job. If he wins the job, yeah, because uh, noted Cam Cameron is, yeah, Danny Cameron is Cam Cameron's son, correct? Oh, Richard Legault is the the, uh, Juco transfer who was in, who is probably going to start, I think. Yeah, and he's a 6'6", 240-pound beast of a man, and they're going to have a really good scheme on offense. Their first... This is a team that could put up a whole hell of a lot of points in their first three games against FIU, Ball State, and Wake Forest. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's... They're going to be Indiana. They're, they're, they're yeah. Indiana still. But yeah. <laughs> they're a little bit better than they used to be. Yeah, it's it, it's going to be a fun team to watch. And Nick, I know that it's going to be... Um, yeah, it's all in the defense. But I mean, do you basically agree with Matt? And is this a team that ends up going bowling or are there just so many questions about whether the defense can do anything for you that, you know, you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, Hey, whatever. Um, I mean, I, the main, (laughs) the main thing I think about when I think about Indiana is that I will never not be terrified of playing them as a Penn state fan. Um, but then sometimes they're a team that gives up 28 unanswered points to Rutgers. (laughs) So it's, (laughs) It's a mixed bag when you look at them. But uh, as far as whether or not they'll go bowling, I think, I mean, you probably have wins over FIU, Ball State, Wake Forest. Uh, probably going to get a win over Maryland. Hopefully going to beat Rutgers. Then you have Purdue at the end of the season. So I, I think they still have a pretty 
uh, straightforward path to a bowl game. It's not nearly as straight, like Matt said, it's not nearly as straightforward as it could have been as it was in the but, past. Yeah, but now thinking about it, it isn't as bad when you do play Purdue every year and you do play Rutgers and Maryland every year. So even then, they just have to yeah. not do what they did against Rutgers last year, which exactly. was pretty horrifying, as you said. Yeah, I mean, win those, <laughs> win those three games, which, sure, I mean... If it was, I mean, they can win those three games and then beat the three cupcakes you have in the non-con and FIU, Ball State, and Wake Forest. Yeah, and and I mean, with their off, with what they can do on offense. I mean, games against Michigan State, Nebraska, Northwestern. I mean, even Penn State. Honestly, um, I mean, there's no reason they can't sneak one of those games too. So I, I think they'll, I think they should be able to get to a bowl, even if it. Even if it has to come down to the last game of the season, I think they should be able to get there. Interesting. Um, I wanted to drag on Indiana as much as possible because I really don't want to talk about this next team uh, just because this is the team that I root for. Um, this would be the Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, Matt has them going 8-4 and four and finishing 4th in the conference. Uh, hey, Matt, what do you have them doing against Pittsburgh? I have them losing to Pittsburgh in a toss-up game. <clears throat> okay. But- Good. I, yeah, I, I just want for that. For that, I seem to be more optimistic than I think a lot of Penn State people are, based on feedback I've gotten from saying that I'm picking them to go eight and four, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those teams we could all agree can go anywhere between like six and six and like nine and three, and we'd go, eh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I hate that this is the question that I kind of wanted to throw out there, but and this is something that I just want to make it a point to mention. In Happy Valley, there are no indications that James, at least from the people that, like I've talked to and that Nick's talked to, and I think that Matt has talked to, that James Franklin's hot seat is heating up. It's just, you know, like SEC writers who still hate James Franklin because he made Vandy into a good program that people had to worry about who were saying the James Franklin hot seat thing. But let's entertain that for half a second. What needs to happen, Matt, for the hot seat to go up at all on James Franklin? Well, I mean, look at September. Yeah. They play Kent State, who they're going to beat. Kent State is a good defense, but is, you know, worse than Kansas on offense. But then they play at Pitt, Temple, at Michigan. You can't lose to Temple again. You can't do that. And when you play them back-to-back with Pitt, that's dangerous, and everybody expects them to lose at Michigan. So there's a lot of games in the schedule that, you know, there's, they have the tough uh, home games against Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan State. And the game everybody expects him to lose at Michigan. There's a lot of games that could go both ways. And it, it, I look, I don't. I think it would be really, really hard for him to be on the hot seat this season. But it would not be hard at all for him to be on the hot seat going into the next season, uh, and to be one of the like biggest names on that list going into next season, because things could go bad really quickly. I mean, if if the offense doesn't make enough progress, if the quarterback play struggles, if they struggle to replace three NFL players in the defensive line. Uh, yeah, you can lose to Pitt. Temple's a competent football team. I don't think Temple's going to be anywhere close to what they were last year, but they're competent, play hard, tough. So there's plenty of losable games where if you said six and six to nine and three, I would say even, you know, I don't think I picked them to go eight and four, but nothing from five and seven to nine and three was yeah. a prime. Five and seven would probably mean what? Pitt, Temple, Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan State, and then like Indiana or something? Something like that. So, yeah, I don't Ugh. think that's going to happen, but yeah. if things went wrong and they could go wrong quickly based on the schedule, that's just the worst case. It's not 
it's the worst case is not impossible to see happening. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. It's possible though. Yeah. And that's what I think that that's kind of a position that I know I'm as a fan am in that I can very easily see the worst case scenario happening with this team. But I don't think it's going to get to that point. I think I'm a little bit more optimistic. I was pretty pessimistic heading into this offseason. But maybe I got them offseason fevers going. And I'm fully on board with this team going 8-4 and like Matt mentions. Uh, But yeah, Nick, just take a step back from being a guy who, you know, writes about the team and writes about recruiting and all that. And just as a fan, how do you feel going into the 2016 season? Terrified. Okay, Absolutely that's good. Absolutely terrified. Uh, yeah, it's, as you guys said, the September portion of the schedule is just, it. every single second is going to be terrifying, just waiting for things to unfold. Uh, I mean, the like, it's, it's really unfortunate that this is the season that we restart the pit gate, restart yeah. the pit series. Uh, it just really is because it's, I am very, very firmly in the camp that James Franklin has no business uh, being on any remote hot seat uh, until after at least four seasons, barring like a, I don't know, barring like a three or four win season, something ridiculous like that. Um, but you know that if they lose to Pitt, the screams for his job are just going to be multiplied by a thousand. So hey, it's when you really come in yelling about dominating the state, you better actually take care of business in those games when yeah. you've already lost the Temple. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah, and I'm, I'm yeah, I'm not saying he hasn't brought it on himself. It's just it's very unfortunate timing for in that regard, especially being the be- being the second week of the season when this is a team that still has question marks at quarterback, offensive line, and defensive line. Yeah. So, boy, when you say it when you say it out loud, it really does sound bad. But uh, nobody should panic if they lose to Pitt. And look, they play Pitt four times in the next four years, right? Exactly. Uh, and Pitt is a decent football team. I think Penn State and Pitt are both in that around the top 35 to 40 range, probably. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a road game with a new quarterback and the new lines, as you said. Pitt has, Pitt has a good offensive line. It's going to be able to run the ball. Uh, their defense, they have a good defensive coach, probably going to have a pretty good defense. It's a losable game, and it's not the end of the world. It happens. Yes. But also don't lose to both Temple and Pitt is what I'm going to yes. say. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that's fair. And that's yeah, that's that's the key. Like if you lo- losing a pit is it for a rational human being, losing a pit is fine and acceptable. Like they're this is college football, so there's no rational thinking involved. <laughs> but yeah, I mean they really are. Like I, I mean S and P plus Penn State, it's twenty eight pits, twenty nine. Like they're pretty much identically ranked teams by most metrics. But if you lose to them and then Temple in back to back weeks, there really is. And then have to go to Ann Arbor the next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there is don't no escape at that point. Yeah, just don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the good news with Temple is that they have to replace so much that it's hard to imagine them coming into Happy Valley and winning. But after, like Matt said, after last year, with how that Temple game worked out, there's going to be some nervousness regarding that game and. If Penn State is able to navigate the month of uh, September with only one loss, I think that the outlook for this team and the the outlook for James Franklin and things like recruiting and all that, they're going to get really, really 
optimistic really, really quickly. Especially because once they get into October, the schedule for that month is Minnesota, Maryland, Ohio State at night at home, and then at Purdue. So things get pretty, uh, I don't want to say easy once they get into October, but it's not hard to imagine that if everything goes right for Penn State, it's walking into a night game at home against Iowa with one loss on its resume, all the momentum in the world, and just a lot of optimism surrounding the program that has kind of been lost over the last year or so of just really uninspired football. Uh, I think we all loved the Joe Moorhead hire. I think we all um, think that this is going to be an offense that is much more entertaining than we've seen the last few years. And as long as that this team is able to get through September with as few battle scars as possible, it, I think that is really going to dictate how the next year of James Franklin's life plays out. And is that fair? Probably not, but... It's college football. Like Matt said, when you say dominate the state, you're expected to dominate the state. You got to come and you got to win football games. And hey, I know that I'm rooting for him to do it at the very least. And I know there are a lot of people that are rooting for him to be the guy who is able to take Penn State uh, to that next level. Moving on from the Nittany Lions, uh, a team that is nine and three in match prediction, going to finish third. A team that is consistently somewhere between pretty good and really good. That would be Michigan State. Uh, The Spartans, of course, lose Connor Cook, but it's a Michigan State. Why would we have any reason to doubt that they're not going to be a solid team, Nick? Why would this be the year that Michigan State finally takes a step back? I mean, if it is, it will probably be due to the quarterbacks because neither one is on the level that Connor Cook was. Um, but the thing that the thing that I look at when I look at Michigan State as to why they will continue to play at that same level is because their defense should be so good this year. I mean, they have so many absurdly, absurdly talented guys. You have McDowell on the line. You have... Uh, why am I blanking out his name? You have Monte Nicholson and uh, Demetrius Jesus Cox. and Demetrius Cox in the secondary. I mean, they they have talent at every level of the defense, and I don't think anyone's expecting them to be as on the same level as Michigan and Ohio State this year. Um, and I think that's fair. I think they're definitely a step down from those guys right now. Uh, but there's no reason why they can't stay in those games and sneak and sneak a victory against either of those teams. Thanks to that defense. Um, so I, I think that's going to be the key for them this season. I think they're just going to have to take what they can get out of the quarterback spot. I don't, I, re- I really don't love either guy. I don't love Tyler O'Connor. I don't love Damian Perry. Um, the guy I like the most in that quarterback group is Messiah DeWeaver, but he's not even close to ready yet. Um, but if they can just get acceptable play out of their quarterbacks, and if LJ Scott can take a step forward this year, again, I didn't love him last year, but I think he was fine, and I think he could be could could get better. Um, 
But if if they can get acceptable play there, the defense stays phenomenal. I don't see a reason why they couldn't uh, surprise someone and sneak into that uh, Big Ten championship game conversation. Yeah, Matt, this is going to be a team that probably plays a lot of really, really, really low-scoring, ugly football games. Uh, last year, it was a team that went uh, 12-2, and got destroyed by Alabama, but that's neither here nor there. This year, they're probably going to take a step back, like we've mentioned. You have them going 9-3, and three, so you don't have them taking too huge of a step back. Uh, and I just wonder, why is that? Is it all because of the defense? Or do you think that this offense has some potential uh, to maybe make life a little bit easier for the guys on the other side of the football? Well, I think the defense can be good at But, you know, the thing was last year, their defense actually wasn't – it was kind of a strange year. I mean, they, they finished – uh, 53rd in yards per play allowed on defense last year. They gave up a lot of big plays. Uh, their secondary was very kind of erratic, and you know it hurt that they lost. Uh, excuse me, they lost Vontae Copeland, uh, one of their starting cornerbacks, early in the season to an injury. So get him back. I think the secondary will be in better shape. Uh, they're waiting to find out if Ed Davis, their linebacker, missed all of last season, will get another year of eligibility. They're still waiting for that. Uh, which and they need him because you know they do have McDowell up front, but they are replacing three starting linemen, replacing Shalik Calhoun, Lawrence Thomas, have pass rush to replace. McDowell is awesome; he's the best defensive tackle in the country. I still have some questions there, and, and we're in year two without Pat and Arduzzi, but I think I think they are going to be better on defense than they were last year. Which you know they were good last year, but they weren't you know that shut down unit that Michigan State had a couple years. Uh, and so you combine that with the fact that yeah, they're going to take a step back on offense. You know they lose Connor Cook. They lose Aaron Burbridge, who was you know, the best receiver by far, uh, and they lose two All-Americans on the offensive line, and Jack Conklin and, and uh, Jack Allen. And I think they're going to be good on the offensive line. I think they're going to run the ball fine, uh, and you know I think they'll be okay at receiver. But you know I, it wouldn't surprise me if they went eight and four in Penn State and Michigan State ended up tied in the Big Ten. I ended up picking Michigan State to win at Penn State, but I don't know. It depends how it goes. I mean. You know, this team went 7-6 and six in 2012, so it's not like D'Antonio was guaranteed to go win 12 games every year. But, you know, three straight top six finishes, I think they'll take a step back, and they look more like a top 25 team than a top 10 team this year. As long as Riley Bullard just goes around and tackles people and um, Malik McDowell is a monster on the defensive line, it's going to be a fun team to watch if you like football that is just really hard-hitting and you know, probably has more of a place in the Big Ten, you know, a decade ago than right now. But whatever, whatever. I, I don't hate Michigan State. What are you talking about? Final two teams we are going to discuss tonight. And I'm lumping them together because the m- difference between these two teams in my mind is razor thin. And that is Michigan and Ohio State. I think that these are head and shoulders, the two best teams in the Big Ten. I think that it wouldn't be crazy to see both of these teams in the college football playoff. I, I think at least one of them makes it. And if something's bounced the right way, both teams can make it. So, Matt, which team is better? I have Michigan in the playoff. I have Michigan at 11-1 and one and Ohio State at 10-2. and two. Uh, It helps Michigan that it plays Hawaii, UCF, and Colorado in non-conference play. Mm-hmm. Who went seven and thirty-one last year? Uh, Ohio State has played at Oklahoma in week three with six returning starters. Um, Ohio State's going to be good. Urban Meyer is great. They recruit well. JT Barrett is back, 
and is the clear starter, and I think he's going to be a lot more like 2014 JT Barrett than 2015 JT Barrett. Uh, we know they have skill talent. We know they have 10 guys who are going to be breakout players this year. It's just what happens. That, only Nick Saban recruits better than Urban Meyer. And, you know, it's a good coaching staff. Uh, I think they're going to have more of an identity, a clear identity on offense, even though they have a lot of new players. So there's going to be growing pains. They're going to be good. But I, I think Michigan, the one advantage you give Ohio State is, look, well, number one, okay, two advantages. Number one, they've beat Michigan pretty much every year outside of the weird 2011 season. They killed Michigan last year, 42-13. to 13. Number two, Ohio State has JT Barrett left or back. Michigan does not have a quarterback yet whether it's uh, Wilton Spate or John O'Corn, the Houston transfer. But Michigan is, we know Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. We know he has a great coaching staff. He lost D.J. Durkin, but he hired Don Brown from Boston College, who had awesome defenses at Boston College last year. Yeah, that was awesome. Their defensive line is excellent, and they add the number one recruit in the country. Their secondary is all seniors. They have Jabril Peppers playing like 18 different positions because he can do everything. <laughs> Their offensive line was a big week. Brady Hoke tried to have a similar physical identity, but he failed. Jim Harbaugh is not going to fail. The offensive line is a lot better than it was under Hoke. They're experienced. They're really good. Three or four all-big 10-caliber players on that line. You know, the running game's okay. Their passing game, we don't really know yet because of the quarterback question, but they have good receivers. Jake Butt is back at tight end, best tight end in the country. Uh, Amaro Amara Darbo and J.U. Chesson at receiver, really, really, really good pairing of receivers. So... They have weapons. Jim Harbaugh made Jake Rudock a sixth-round draft pick <laughs> and a 3,000-yard passer. Their defense is going to be one of the three or four best in the country. And, you know, they play Penn State and Wisconsin at home, and they play at Michigan State, at Iowa, and at Ohio State, but their schedule is favorable. You know, they play their first five at home. I think everybody agrees they're going to beat Penn State and Wisconsin at home. Uh, so it's those three road games late in the season. But if you lose one and beat Ohio State, which – Again, huge question. If anybody wants to say Ohio State's going to beat Michigan in that game at the end of the year when Ohio State is presumably peaking with a more seasoned roster over the course of the year, that's fine. I, I totally buy that Ohio State's going to win that game. But I have Michigan getting it done. I, I do have that faith in Harbaugh, and I think the defense is just going to be really, really good. Yeah, uh, and Nick, because Matt laid out the case for Michigan, I'm going to make you lay out the case for Ohio State, which for most people would be really tough, but considering that you follow recruiting much closer than just about anyone else, and you could talk about some of the studs that Ohio State has coming up through the pipeline, it should be a pretty easy, uh, a pretty easy task for you. Yeah, I really, really like... Uh, I mean, all right, let me, let me rephrase that. I don't like... Uh, how the season sets up for Ohio State, Ohio State per se, uh, because that Oklahoma game in the beginning of the year is just going to be killer. Because I, I do think the Sooners will win that game because I don't think Ohio State will be fully gelled yet, and they won't quite be ready to beat that quality of opponent. But I will say that Michigan better hope that they win every other game up on their schedule until that last one, because I think Ohio State beats them in that season finale. I really, really think that Ohio State is getting it's it's silly to say that they're being underrated because everyone still has them as the second best team in the Big 10 all behind pretty behind only Michigan and a lot of people even have Ohio State as still the best team um, but if there are if there are three things that I know and fully believe in college football two of them are betting one you never bet on rivalries you never bet week 1 and Urban Meyer will make a good football team there is I 
there is so much inexperience on this Ohio State roster right now, but there's also so much talent. I know our friends over at 11 Warriors, they have a t-shirt that says something along the lines of, we don't have backups, we just have more starters. That is totally true. I mean, this this team has just an absurd amount of talent. I mean, just looking at just looking at pure recruiting rankings alone, right now they have of the guys that are sophomores or younger, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten kids that were four stars or higher as recruits. That is unbelievable. That's of wide receivers and tight ends. They have so much talent that they're going to be able to throw out there, even if it doesn't all gel right away. And I think they have who is might be the best uh, might be the best quarterback in the country at the end of this year, even over ahead of Deshaun Watson. Ooh. Is JT Barrett? I love JT. Read Barrett. about JT I, Barrett on Sports on Earth now. Yes, I heard Matt wrote something about it. <laughs> My goodness, Nick, that is a take, buddy. I th- I he, I don't think he's I that. I don't, I don't think I I don't think he's going to pass Watson. But if I, I laid it out in the article I wrote that if you look at his numbers from 2014 and compare it to Watson, you know, last year uh, they're pretty comparable. Barrett had a higher passer rating, uh, averaged more yards per attempt, and despite playing in 12 games instead of Deshaun Watson's 15, Barrett only had like two fewer total touchdowns accounted for. He was really, really good, and I feel like it's kind of got lost in just the chaos of last year. But now they've had a exactly. whole year to build around him, and he's the guy. And they're gonna, you know, it's Urban Meyer's preferred type of identity—a guy who can run the, you know, Cardell could run, but he was a different player. You know, they were they were airing it out long and things like that. Barrett's gonna be the guy who can get the offense into a better, better rhythm. We saw it in the Penn State game. We saw it when they would bring him in in the red zone. The offense just clicked better. They pushed the tempo. He's just a great, great point guard for that offense, and he's a good leader and all that. So I, I'm not going to, like, I can't argue against any of that, that Barrett's great, that Ohio State has a ton of talent. I I can't wait for that Ohio State-Michigan game. I think it's going to yeah. be fantastic. It's going to be awesome. If you, if you remove any, you know, Penn State fandom in this podcast, that's just a great game for college football. It's a great rivalry, and it's great when that rivalry is at its peak, and it has not been. But now it's about to be. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, there is, uh, there is no bigger regular season game. I, I mean, maybe Alabama, LSU, maybe uh, Clemson against Florida State. But if we're talking about the biggest regular season games in college football this year, uh, I, I mean, Michigan, Ohio three. State, Those man. Are three. What was that? Those are the three at yeah. least. Yeah. And it, it, that, you know, last weekend of the season, that's going to be a game that almost definitely is going to decide which team. I mean, with all due respect <laughs> to the teams out in the Big Ten West. And Michigan State. And Don't Michigan State. give Michigan State respect. Sure, we'll give Michigan State a little respect. That is the Big Ten championship game. The team that wins that game is almost definitely going to win the Big Ten and make it to the college football playoff. Unless, you know, Ohio State loses to Oklahoma and then the uh, committee just gets all weird about letting – Letting an Ohio State team that lost to Oklahoma get in over like Stanford or something. So I, that game, man. For, when was the last time? I mean, last year was a big game, but it wasn't like huge. Two years ago, it was a big game because it was fun knowing that uh, 
Jim Harbaugh was probably on the horizon for Michigan, but in terms of actual football, this is probably the biggest game since when they met one and two back in like oh five or oh six or whatever it was. Six, yeah, it yeah. Probably, I'm optimistic that it will be. I mean, we'll see. Michigan's still got to prove, you know, for all of Michigan Harbaugh's success last year, we're still that, that's how far Michigan fell. That a highly successful season featured three losses, including to both of its rivals. Uh, but that's how far Michigan fell, and Harbaugh did exceed expectations last year. And we know the guy's a great coach for all of the chaos <laughs> off the field. So I'm very confident, and we know that they're recruiting well and all that too. And you know, even for all of Brady Hoke's faults, it's not like they were devoid of talent when he was gone, yeah. and the defense especially had a lot. So uh, yeah, I, I think that will probably be the Big Ten title game as well. But fortunately, we have a full. You know, 14 weeks of football before we get yeah, to that. Absolutely. One last quick question before we move on and we just get into some really quick predictions. Um, what are the odds that Shane Morris one day sues Brady Hoke for malpractice <laughs> of some kind? I think all of us forgiven and Shane Morris, who <laughs> this year, but he might play some receiver, it sounds like. Or Oh, my I, God. Well, it seemed, it, it seemed like, it was, you know, it's, it's State and O'Corn as the two guys who are. Well, everybody kind of expected O'Corn to win the job, the Houston transfer, but yeah. Spade, I guess, had a good spring uh, and seemed to kind of be in the lead, so we'll see where that goes. But again, as I said earlier, Jake Rudock was drafted last year. Jim yeah. Harbaugh is good at coaching quarterbacks. God, I, I cannot wait to see how they how Jabril Peppers, all the fun and weird ways he's going to use. I cannot wait to see what J.T. Barrett looks like. I cannot wait to see... All of the guys who are next at Ohio State, the guys we're going to fill in for uh, another Bosa. Yeah, another Bosa. Uh, another freaking Bosa. Who's filling in for Ezekiel Elliott? Who's filling in uh, for Michael Thomas? Who's taking over for Taylor Decker? Who's taking over for place name of good football player that isn't JT Barrett or Raekwon McMillan here? Like, there is just so many fun things like to see with this Ohio State team. They're going to be a better team for probably losing to Oklahoma in week three. And by the time that that game rolls around at the end of the year, it's going to be just an all-out war. And like Matt said, we have 14 weeks until that happens. Really quickly, predictions. Uh, we, uh, we have Iowa, Iowa, and Nebraska out in the West. I think we all have Michigan in the East. Nope. Oh, you have Ohio State? Yep. Okay. Well, Nick's got Michigan. I got Michigan as well. Uh, who do you all have winning the conference? I have Michigan. Michigan. Matt is Michigan. Uh, you have Ohio State, Nick? Ohio State. And how many Big Ten teams make the playoff? One. Mm. There's no way it's two. Ooh. See, I don't I mean, know about if, that. If the, rest, if the rest of the country was in chaos and Michigan's only loss ends up being to Ohio State, that wouldn't be the most... Impossible that's true. See, that's the yeah, thing. That's true. Like, if Michigan goes through its schedule and just like trucks everyone, and then loses a rather close game on the road against Ohio State, and then you know we get the one team that comes out of the SEC, we get the one team that comes out of the ACC. Then the Big 12 can't really figure out what it's doing. The Pac-12 can't really figure out what it's doing. Houston doesn't make a good enough well, case to surprise everyone. I mean, the thing is, I have. I think it's possible that the six best teams are in three divisions. Yeah. 
but I would have Michigan and Ohio. Like I have Michigan in the playoff, but I think my top four going into the season is going to be some combination of LSU, Alabama, Florida State, and Clemson. I think those four teams are better than Michigan and Ohio State. Obviously, I could easily be wrong, and none of those teams make the playoff. Yeah, but it's like I think. If you say which conference is still is the most likely to get two in, I would put the Big Ten third in that list. But okay. the Pac-12 could be chaotic, and the Big 12, I don't have a team getting in either. So who knows? It's possible. I kind of want Baylor to get in just because I want to hear how Art Bryles and Gary Patterson would react to that. But that's for a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> that's go- not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Baylor, for... Really nothing. 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 Yeah. Nothing. Uh, so yeah, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you again to Matt uh, for taking the time to join us today. It was a uh, was a good time. We'll surely have him on a little more frequently uh, during the season. Of course, make sure you get over to Sports on Earth. Read everything that Matt wrote. I plugged it at the beginning of the show, but he took on this really big project at. Uh, uh, over the course of the summer where he ranked the top 100 college football coaches of all time. It's definitely worth, you know, taking 20 minutes and checking all of that out. Uh, Of course, read all the stuff that he's going to be writing. He writes some really great preview stuff. As for myself and Nick, keep reading Roar Lions Roar. Uh, Always want to start reading Roar Lions Roar. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't, start reading it. We would love to hear your feedback on what we could do to make the site better. Buy some shirts. Share the stuff that we write. And we hope that you enjoy this podcast today. We hope you enjoy it for the rest of the season. For Matt Brown, for Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Roar Lions War Podcast.